to the Smut and Spice podcast, where we're living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Ashley. We've opted to include a disclaimer for this episode as it's somewhat different from the episodes we've previously done. The thoughts and opinions reflected in this podcast are our own. We are in no way sponsored by any authors, nor do we receive any benefits, monetary or otherwise, from the content we produce. All reviews are honest ones. We are in no way kink-shaming, to each their own. There's also a trigger warning for this episode um, that includes non-consensual acts, dubious consent, public humiliation, rape, molestation, stalking, and coercion. In this week's episode, we will be discussing the overhyped train wreck that is Lords of Pain. This book blew up on BookTok, Instagram, and the Reverse Harem Facebook groups. This is the first book in the series. Book two is coming out in June. In this first book, you will see that Killian is on the cover and Wrath will be on the next cover. This book starts out with an author's note. And personally, we feel as though the author's note does not do enough to prepare the reader for what they are getting themselves into. Do you want to speak to that a little bit, Ash? Yeah, um, so I have been a victim of sexual assault in the past. Um, so I don't have a ton of triggers. Um, and I'm also someone that has some non-consensual fantasies. But I think that the way that she put this, it's like, oh, if you've read some of my other books, you know, this isn't anywhere, like, this is way darker than any of those. And there's just some, like, there's, like, a light trigger warning. It's like, she doesn't really go into any detail. And I definitely was not prepared for the first, like, the opening scene of the book. And for me, mm -hmm. that kind of set the tone for how I felt for the entire book. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. So she also adds a little note in at the bottom where she says the three boys that are a part of the harem, Killian Payne, Dimitri Rathbone, and Tristan Mercer, are evil, spoiled, entitled, complicated, terrible people. We love them, but you may not. I cannot wrap my head around why would you would ever say that you love any of these three characters because I find them to be completely irredeemable, awful human beings. I agree. There's nothing throughout this entire book that gives me any positive feelings towards any of them. They're all awful. <laughs> Let's get into the summary of this story, because I'm sure by now, if you haven't read it, your interest is piqued as to why we have such strong feelings about this book, <laughs> Lords of Pain. So our female main character is Story. Story is being actively stalked by someone off of a sugar baby website that she signed up for to get money in order to get away from home. In order to deal with this situation, she decides to return to the three men who made her life hell in high school, who would be Killian, Dimitri, and Tristan. They are currently living in a fraternity house at a university. Forsyth University, to be exact. Yes. They F are considered you. to be the kings of campus and to be untouchable. And they are referred to as the lords. It's part of their whole fraternity spiel. She decides to audition to become their lady, which is a position that is held every year for one woman on campus. 
And if she's accepted into that position, she gets free housing, free meals, and she get, has their protection. But in return, she has to do every single thing that they ask of her, and she basically belongs to them. She does get accepted into that position. And it just kicks off from there with these three boys continuing their reign of terror from high school and just being absolutely awful human beings. <laughs> That's such a good summary. <laughs> I figured we would give you a brief overview of each character before we really jump into the events of the book. We were planning on doing this episode a little bit differently today just because we have so much of our own opinions that we want to get into. We're not going to spend a lot of time summarizing. Instead, we're going to give you a brief overview of the characters themselves and then jump into exactly what these guys have done to story to make us hate them so much so that you could really understand where we're coming from with these opinions. And we've really, um, you know, we've thought on this for a long time and I think that the biggest part for us is that, you know, when we're doing these episodes, we do a reread before we, you know, make this content for you guys. And just for the reread, Sam and I were like, this is awful. Like, how did we get through this? It's awful. I was like, it was difficult for me to read anything else after my reread because I was just in a state of mind where I was like, I hate the world after reading this book again. And again, I want to just mention again that we are in no way kink shaming. Um, I know that there are people out there that have some dark taboo fantasies. But to me, this these incidents that happen in this book are, you know, they're they're not even along those lines. It's just they're terrible people that I don't understand how anyone would be interested in them. Just wanted to add that one more time before we jump in. Thank you for reiterating our point. (laughs) So as I already said, our main character is Story. Story is introduced into this world because her mother gets remarried to Killian's father. And she comes from originally a low-income family, and they married into Killian's family, which are incredibly rich. So she has this, like, storybook fantasy of... My mother's taking me away into this house where they have all this money and life is going to be so much better. But instead of life being better, she is introduced to Killian and his father. Uh, Because life is so hard for her in this house and there's a lot of terrible things happening, she decides that she wants to raise as much money as she can to just run away and get away from this entire situation. So in order to do that, she signs up for a sugar baby website. I feel like now would be a great time to say again that Ashley and I fully support all sex work. Sex work is real work and that there is absolutely nothing wrong with being a sugar baby. However, in this book, they don't seem to feel that way because she is instantly shamed by the guys when they find out about it and they use it to manipulate and coerce her into a scene that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah. And again, if you have triggers... This book, it might be difficult for you. So her name on the site is Sweet Cherry, and the boys call her that in a mocking way throughout this entire uh, book. Like, it doesn't stop just after high school. When she comes back to them in university, they continue calling her that. And we should maybe also add that Sweet Cherry is a reference to the fact that 
she is indeed a virgin um you know as in her cherry has not been popped um so the guys are also referencing that as well about her yes and there is a huge obsession with virginity throughout this entire story and i should we talk about our thoughts and feelings on virginity now ash or do you want to wait a little bit um i mean i guess we can talk about it now just because you know it it is very important to story um you know and i don't want it to come off that you know we're in any way judging her for any of this i mean she's a fictional character but like you said, we're very pro-sex work, and um, I'm totally okay with the fact that, you know, someone is attached to their virginity and is using that as a means to, you know, get ahead in life however they can, um, you know, whether that's selling it to the highest bidder or, um, the, I guess, um, maintaining your virginity until you're married, but just the obsession with it throughout this Book is disturbing and we know that virginity is a misogynistic concept in itself the fact that women are changed after having sex is just so fucking ridiculous and the idea that Killian's father like tries to bring home to story that she has to protect her virginity because it's such an important part of her it's the most important part of her is like the root problem in purity culture that women are just boiled down to their ability to have sex. Like women are so much more than their hymens. There is no reason why virginity should matter this much ever. Exactly. And it's like, you know, kind of that objectification of her and, you know, maintaining her purity that, as someone who plans to raise my daughter in a very sex positive family, it just, it disturbs me. Like I couldn't imagine ever having a conversation like that with Emmy. Um, you know, I plan to encourage her to be adventurous in her sexuality. Um, you know, while still being cautious because STIs are a thing. Um, but condoms just, all the condoms yes all the condoms she's gonna be on birth control once i i'm you know i'm gonna encourage her to you know discuss that she's sexually active um just yeah the whole purity culture is just it's gross and i just think of um it especially makes me think of like lds cults and mm-hmm. like I, I don't know it's it's just like icky No, it makes me think of, like, fundamentalist Christian viewpoints where women are only valued because of what they do for men, not as their own individual people. Yeah, and that, you know, once that hymen, your hymen's not intact anymore, that you're no longer special or valued. It's just, disgusting. It's the grossest. So after that incredibly gross and unnecessary talk that Killian's father gives Story... He then starts sexually molesting her. And Story has a history of being abused by older men. And part of the reason why she is so anxious to leave this house is because this abuse was taking place. And she begins, in addition to being molested by Killian's father, she begins being bullied mercilessly by Killian, Tristan, and Rath throughout all of high school. 
they refuse to like help her in school in any way they refuse to acknowledge she exists or when they do acknowledge she exists they treat her like absolute garbage and story remains a virgin throughout all of the story up until the very end and it is talked about constantly because it's not only Killian's father that has an obsession with her virginity Killian Tristan and Rath are also obsessed with it and it's like the main focal point of why they wanted her to become the lady in the first place so it's 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 never let go it's just constantly discussed and again the misogyny like (laughs) all the other fraternities being jealous of their lady because she's a virgin like that just says that you know the other women the other you know women associated with the other fraternities are not valuable because none of them are virgins they literally refer to women as like used cum dumpsters in certain parts and it's like what about you and your asses which are constantly having sex with anything that moves like just random women just just random fucks which is fine like i'm totally fine with that you i you know back in my day i enjoyed casual sex but the double standard (laughs) it's ridiculous the double standard that's upheld from the guy's viewpoints now obviously we can't say that the authors themselves hold these opinions they're writing this from the character's perspective but the fact that it's like every man in this story holds the same opinions and no one at any point is like hey that's absolute garbage that is coming out of your mouth right now makes me like side-eye these authors a little bit and like you really didn't feel the need to discredit them and their viewpoints you still want to say in the beginning of your author's note how much you love these characters and just one righteous redeemable character would have been so nice maybe like a fourth person in the harem that like just was not involved with this or um, you know, comes in after they're in college, just someone, a professor at the college, someone, anyone, please just help this girl. Someone who stands up for story without an ulterior motive would have been wonderful. Our next character is Killian, nicknamed Killer Payne. Uh, big disappointment because I love the name Killian. I'm a big fan of Irish names in general. But this character's really ruined that name for me. It's been a real disappointment. Oh, it was just so unfortunate. (laughs) He's described only as being huge and covered in tattoos. That's the only description we get of him as a character. Yeah, so you can just kind of fill him in with whatever, like, you know, horrible, big football player-esque man you want to put in there. Just slap him right on in. It's like the whole Bella thing with Twilight. It is. It's like, you get, it's a, uh, what am I trying to say? Create your own? Yeah, it's a create your own adventure of a character. (laughs) Um, And Killian has Kill tattooed on his knuckles. Uh. And Sam and I love tattoos and knuckle tats. I mean, you guys heard our Havoc episode and how obsessed we are with Oscar. And it's just so unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Oh. He, like, he would, in my mind, minus the fact that there's no description, be the hottest one out of the three for me, because I don't usually go for blonde guys. Uh, 
And but, let's be honest, he's also that, like, dark, like, mm-hmm. mysterious. He's, like, all the things that you like. Exactly. Except he's fucking terrible. So it's, like, and what does it say about me that I'm in love with the Darkling, who's a literal murderer, <laughs> an awful person, but I cannot stand Killian Payne? <laughs> what does it say about him as a character? Killian is Story's stepbrother. <laughs> Talk about the most cliche porn plot of all time. <laughs> I mean, technically, they're, you know, they're not related, so. What are you doing, step bro? <laughs> as you come, as she, like, comes downstairs and, like, a, like, lace teddy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that that happened in this book. I'm saying that's a cliche porn plot. Because that definitely did not happen at all in this book. At all. No, but, like, his fantasies that he describes are absolutely plots in porn, where he's, like, sneaking into her bedroom at night, and, oh, she's naked, and, oh, she turns over, and now he can see all of her body, and, oh, now he's touching her, and she's totally into it. Like, you're describing a porn plot. And also, let's address the fact that when someone is sleeping, they can't consent. Yes, absolutely. I... Honestly, we might as well just say right out the gate right now that consent never seems to be an issue for any of these three because they are all rapists. When it comes down to everything that they do to Story in this throughout the book, they have no issue with the fact that they never get her consent for almost anything that happens, even when she explicitly says that she doesn't want to do something. It still happens anyway, and then they excuse all of their behavior immediately and find nothing wrong with anything they do. They're just that, their egos are that inflated, and that's what bothers me. Um, you know, this book really reminds me of the whole uh, Brock Turner case. Mm-hmm. That how when you come from privilege the lines are kind of blurred for you as far as, you know, what consent is or what rape is. And that's absolutely not okay. (laughs) Just because someone is from a lower social standing than you, it does not make it okay for you to rape them. You're not entitled to anything. And what does it say about these characters that you feel the need to say that? Never, yeah, that's like, never in my life have I felt the need to say, hey, you're not entitled to rape someone. And yet right? here we are. Yeah, this is this is words that are actually coming out of my mouth right now. And people are probably going to listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, like that makes total sense. But I loved that book. And I just I can't I can't no. do it. <laughs> and maybe this goes along with our whole, you know, feminist. I don't want to say mentality because it's like who we are, but it's part of our, we are very much feminists at our core and we very much believe in a woman's ability to choose and a woman's ability to consent to whatever she believes in. But this story is like everything about it goes against what I believe in when it comes to relationships. It, and it literally, it's like these authors went into my brain and did the exact opposite of everything I want to see in a relationship. And I think that, you know, for us, reverse harems have been so empowering in the fact that we can read them and not feel ashamed for the things that we think and feel. And it's empowering for women to be able to, you know, fantasize about multiple partners or 
fantasize about bisexual men and this book it just as someone with non-consensual fantasies it does nothing for me so when killian's father married story's mother and this just speaks to killian's entitlement when killian first met story in his mind he truly believed that his father was giving him story like story was a fucking object that could just be handed over and now belong to him objectifying women how many times has it come up on our podcast that you just can't give people as presents this is not the first time (laughs) and i mean lucius is a crazy old vampire like a 16 year old privileged white boy and a thousand year old vampire are two totally different things (laughs) not saying that what lucius did was right but he crazy (laughs) and so is killian And then, speaking of Killian being just an absolutely fucking awful person, when he catches his father molesting Story in his father's office, he blames Story for her own abuse and says that she was a whore who was seducing his father. I could not want to strangle a character more. It's just awful. It's so awful. And instead of thinking, you know how can I help her? Or should I bring this up to my dad? Because she's underage. Like, that's what he goes with. The victim blaming. He is the epitome of a victim blamer. That's what he does throughout this entire book. Even he blames Story for the shit that he does to her. Everything is Story's fault. I mean, he's like a fucking sociopath, though. Like, it's said, story says it, but it's, like, you can just tell with everything that he does. Like, I get, like, a whole, like, American psycho vibe from him because Mm -hmm. there's, um, oh, should I just talk about it now? (laughs) Go for it. Like, the part where she goes into his room after she just becomes the lady and they're, like, they're, like, oh, we're gonna send a message and we're not gonna be there when she first gets there. And she goes into his room and he has, like, all of this shit, like, lined up, like, really neatly. And, like, his picture of his mom on his bedside table. But she, like, wasn't allowed to ask about that when they lived together at the mansion. And it's just, like, his shirts are, like, all neatly arranged. He's, like, a fucking psycho. And he's really sensitive about his mother, but we don't get ever get any of that backstory. At one point, Wrath is, like... Has killer, has killer ever told you about his mother? And then nothing is ever said. So I don't know if that's something that the authors have planned for the later books of, like, digging more into his backstory. But, like, it's brought up in the fact that Killian hates to talk about it. And then that's it. And I feel like it's important for us to address that we read a lot of bully romances and one of our favorite ones is the brutal boys of everlake prep series Mm -hmm. and the you know the male members of the harem i mean other than like nash do some really fucked up stuff to tatum but they're redeemable and they don't do anything that's non-consensual and just the way that they they don't speak about her in like the disgusting way that these guys speak about story and it's just it's two totally different things and they never cross that line they never cross the line where they can't come back from their actions 
And I mean, we're right out, right out of the gates. That's where we are. Uh, yes. So in addition to being the leader of this little trio of assholes, uh, <laughs> Killian plays football. He's just in general, like the big man on campus kind of mentality. And he is very rough with his sexual partners, at times violent, and seems to only be able to get off when the other person is in pain or when he feels as though it's a non-consensual act. Like when they're struggling against him, when he feels like they're unhappy with whatever's happening, that's when he can get off. And I believe there is definitely a scene where the girl is like, Killian, stop. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, how much clearer does it need to be? And it's, like, shortly after that, like, he, like, gets off. Like, it just disturbs me. And he, um, he can't, like, he doesn't like blondes anymore because he's so obsessed with story. So he only likes to fuck, like, brunettes from the back. So he can pretend that they're all story. He also has a tattoo of story on his arm. Like, the obsession is not okay. And at some point, like, Tristan and Rath, uh, like, try and hint that he's in love with her. And that's why he does these things. Like, no. Let's be very clear that this has nothing to do with love. Like, this is all about control and obsession. Yeah, you don't do things like this to someone that you love. And that's anyone who's in an abusive relationship you need to realize that someone who loves you would not do these things to you so that's killian we don't like him (laughs) i mean we don't like we don't like any of them but up next is another asshole tristan mercer his name is spelled weird uh i tristan pronounced tristan could also be Tristan. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just like a like I don't know. There's a random spelling. I in there for no reason. Tristan. <laughs> I think I'm partial to Tristan. Tristan. I will refer. I will refer to him as Tristan from now on. He is described as having. He, we actually get a description of him. Uh, blonde hair, tan skin, lean, hard muscle, and ice blue eyes. He's supposed to be, like, the nice guy of the group. He's very much a sweet talker. He's the first one to, like, want to take care of Story and, like, make her feel better about whatever's going on. But he's incredibly manipulative. And none of this is coming from, like, a good place. That's all coming from a place where he wants to manipulate her so that he can get her on his side and then win the game, which we're going to talk about in a bit. And he's a huge fan of playing mind games, which, I mean, I think that all of us have some experience with being with someone that tries to be manipulative and plays mind games. And people like that are so dangerous and toxic. And, you know, Tristan kind of worms his way into her good graces. And he's just terrible. Like we're gonna talk about the big scene but it's like how can you be close to this person so in addition to all that he's also a health nut for some reason like his whole thing is that everyone needs to be eating healthy foods and he constantly gives shit to their housekeeper 
about the fact that she doesn't make healthy enough foods and he's trying to make sure that Story is only eating healthy foods. And then he has two little sisters who he says are like the most important women in his life. And he takes Story to meet them at one point. And Story brings up, which was one of the scenes where I was like, yes, girl, thank you for actually standing up for yourself and saying something that makes sense for once. She was like, what are you going to do when those two grow up and a guy does to them what you did to me? And he's like, I'm going to kill every man in the world. And it's like, you pretentious asshole. How are you not getting the point that she's making that the way that you treat women, you would never want someone to treat your sisters that way, which makes you the terrible person in this situation? Yes, he's so fucking hypocritical. And I mean, let's be real. A lot of men often are. It's just so cringe when you get to that part. Like, why? Why would you, why? Why would you write this this way? Yes. I, I don't, like, it's just made to make you hate him. And he can't wrap his head around the fact that what he did to Story was wrong. He at no point can be like, you're 100% right. He never apologizes. Not once does he apologize. Oh, he does towards the end, but it's not like a real apology. It was like, it was more of a, I'm sorry that I upset you apology. Not an, I'm sorry that I sexually assaulted you and I realize that I'm a terrible person and shouldn't be around you. Which we're getting there. You'll see. <laughs> yes. Um, then our last character that we're going to talk about before we start talking about these terrible <laughs> Who is things arguably... One of the weirdest characters I have ever read in a book. Like. Dimitri, nicknamed Wrath, Wrathbone, described as having inky black hair, lip piercings, pale skin, and dark eyes. Um, and I just want to add that we're in the year 2021. And the year of Dimitri- our Lord and Savior, 2021. <laughs> what's it uh what's um <laughs> like ad <laughs> like oh like the year of our lord <laughs> anyway um, so dimitri has snake bites and i just think about to when we grew up and like scene and emo culture was a thing mm-hmm. and couldn't we have just left snake bites there It's like the eyebrow piercing from the 90s. I just, I I find nothing attractive about them. And I want to add that my husband had them, not when we met, but he previously had them. And like, he doesn't have them anymore. And I get that they're trying to go for this whole like mysterious, like emo tortured musician aesthetic for him. But it just... It doesn't do it for me. It's I find it laughable. If I you also have find snake, it laughable. If you have snake bites, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be critical of your life choices. I have my septum pierced. We're sure they look better on you than they do on him. Yeah, um, and I just... <laughs> that sums it up very well. <laughs> so he's supposed to be the quiet and intense one. He's supposed to be a musician. And on top of everything else, for whatever reason, they chose to make this character with the problem, his secret issue that he doesn't tell anyone, the fact that he can't read. 
Are you fucking kidding me? So we're assuming that he has dyslexia, which we realize is a very real condition. But as a spoiled rich kid, why did no one help him? Like, I have a lot of parents... issues with the believability of this for many different yes. reasons. Yes. You know, how do you operate the, um, like, you know, the production programs on your computer if you can't read? Like, in general, we're going to assume since all three of these assholes are rich beyond belief that they went to private school throughout most of their life or a very exclusive public school that's like a part of a gated community. In those schools, starting in elementary school, there would be individual assessments of each student where they would sit down and read with their teacher. And that is where any problems with reading would be discovered and then there would be interventions in place and then there would be special education support if it was needed at no point can i believe that a fucking third grader is bribing their way around a reading assessment with their teacher this would have been caught very early on especially with the quality of schools that he would have been attending i cannot find this situation believable in any way shape or form <laughs> It's just too, too unrealistic, and it it bothers Sam and I quite a bit. If you couldn't so tell much. from her detailed opinions on it, I like I can believe that he's bribing someone to do his papers in college. That's like a thing that happens all the time. Ah, yeah, what I cannot like, believe is that he made it through K through twelve education the entire time without anyone figuring this out. And one of my favorite scenes is, I think it's from Tristan's perspective, and, like, it says that Wrath is reading a Jimi Hendrix book, but they know that he's not reading it. So he's lit- he literally sits there with a book and, like, pretends to keep up this act with his friends that know that he doesn't know how to read. And that's part of Dimitri's beef with Story is that she figured it out while they were in high school. And so he turns into an even more massive asshole to her. Like, because just like she figured out his secret. Like, dude, get the fuck over yourself. At one point, he tells a story about a teacher he had in third grade that, you know, instead of helping him and identifying the fact that he might have a learning disability, uh, the teacher made fun of him and called him stupid, and that's why he couldn't, like, tell anyone that he was having these problems. And I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to believe? I'm supposed to believe that a teacher went up to an eight-year-old in the face and was like, you you're fucking s- idiot, why can't you read? <laughs> in what world? In what world? When his parents are literally paying thousands and thousands of dollars for his education. I am and I'm blown I think away. it's it's been addressed too in the book that his parents have like very high expectations for him too, correct? Oh, I don't remember that. But I mean like it's like typical rich kid bullshit. So yeah. it's like I cannot wrap my head around the world building that we're just supposed to accept here. Yeah, it's just, I mean, obviously, you know, reverse harems are not widely accepted in the world that we live in, so we're used to reading some unrealistic shit. But this is just, it's too much. Too, there too are much. limits to my believability, and <laughs> you have hit it with this plot point. 
<laughs> yeah, it started with the snake bites, but then when we found <laughs> out he couldn't read, it pushed us over the edge. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> so now we really get into the awful shit. So literally the first scene in this book, starting off with a rape scene where Tristan, with Wrath's help, manipulates and forces Story to give Tristan oral sex in Killian's laundry room. And let's address that this is, they're like 16 years or 17 or 16, right? 16? They're either juniors or seniors. I can't remember which. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a flashback to them in high school. And they manipulate her by telling her that they discovered her account on the Sugar Daddy website and that if she doesn't do this, they're going to go and tell... Uh, the parents about it and they're like she had a choice and it's like you can't make someone give you oral sex through coercion and blackmail and then turn around and say that she gave you consent that's not how consent works and I mean especially when she's 16 years old your brain is not developed to make informed decisions at that age So Story immediately internalizes this and immediately starts blaming herself, which speaks to her history of abuse here because she obviously has prior trauma from being molested by older men. And she's internalized that trauma and has decided that all of this is her fault, that she is bringing this on herself, that she attracts these men to her and that all of this happens because of who she is. And that's not an uncommon thing that happens constantly with abuse victims But that is just continually propped up by how Tristan, Rath, and Killian speak to her and blame her constantly for shit that is not her fault. Yep. And it's just over and over and over and over. (laughs) So this all happens, and Tristan explains this later, because, you know, it wasn't his fault that he forced her into giving him oral sex. He was having a bad day because he got dumped and he found out that his girlfriend was cheating on him with the softball coach and because of that it was completely justified for him to force story to give him a blowjob in the laundry room and she really should have known better than to bring up his breakup because she forced him into doing that and how tough it must be to be a privileged white man I wrote in my notes that this reminds me of that guy who went out and killed a bunch of women and then the police chief was like, well, he was having a bad day. And it's like the amount of justification that goes into making sure white men never have to feel that they're responsible for their own actions. Or, you know, protecting them from ever feeling lesser than, which is something that, you know, women and minorities experience on the daily God forbid a white man has to feel responsible for the terrible things that he does. No, he was having a bad day. So Tristan was having a bad day, so he raped Story in the laundry room. It was completely justified. And we did want to include, um, you know, kind of some brief notes on non-consensual sex and, uh, you know, dubious consent. So um, non-consenting, there's like a forcible seduction scenario, um, but consent is never spoken like no one says that they agree 
Um, so dubious consent, meaning that consent is unknown, it's not established with certainty, or it's gained through questionable circumstances. And thanks, fanlore.org, for that. Um, story in no way consents. And in literally in literary works, these lines can be blurred because we have insight into the character's thoughts, especially in books that are written in the first person. But there's nothing in the first chapter that signifies consent on Story's part. She's blackmailed into performing this blowjob while Wrath and Killian are jerking off over it. And Wrath is also like fingering her and like whispering in her ear about how wet she is. And it's just disgusting. In addition, there is, like, she's actively fighting against it and crying. Like, all indicators that she is not consenting to this. And your body, you know, responding a certain way to touching, that's just normal physiology. It doesn't, you know, because she's wet, it doesn't mean that she is turned on and consenting to what you're doing to her. And that's just another thing that she internalizes. Like, it, again, it just adds on to all the shit that she's blaming herself for. Like, she thinks that her body reacting this way means that she wanted this all along. And it's, I mean, it's very clear, I think, you know, at least to us, that she didn't want this. So that's the beginning scene in this book. And it just sets the tone for all of the rest of the bullshit that these terrible boys pull throughout. So I made a list. I made a list of all the bullshit that these assholes do to story. And that's what I titled it, in case you were wondering. Starts off with rape in the laundry room and blaming her for her own abuse. In addition to that, Killian, while she's still in high school and they're living in the same house, makes it a habit, and then this continues when she's living in the same place as him again, of sneaking into her room when she's sleeping and putting his dick on her mouth and putting cum on her mouth and thinks that that's a totally okay thing to do. Oh, that's just so disgusting. <laughs> I can't. I, when you're asleep, ugh. you cannot consent. <laughs> then, once she starts as the lady, they make the game, which is something they play every year, they decide that they are going to make the game all about manipulating her and seeing who can get the most points for the different things that they can do to story. So they earn points for getting her to do sexual things. They earn points for her wearing outfits that they pick out. They earn points for punishing her. They earn points for doing things publicly. All of it is going up to the ultimate winner, who is whoever gets to take her virginity which is again fucking gross why do you care so much about a hymen and that's just so many of our notes are just like gross 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 rapist gross yes that's sums up our feelings on these characters (laughs) so the game continues and there's a lot of emotional manipulation and coercion that happens throughout and story of course is completely unaware of this while it's happening and it just adds an additional disgusting layer of awful things that they do to story throughout like any time when it's like oh this could be a real emotional moment where they might be making up for something awful that they did to her you have to like stop and be like no it's just more emotional manipulation 
Yeah, and any intimate scenes, it's like, oh, like, maybe, you know, she's somewhat enjoying it, or maybe the guy is, like, actually into her. No, they'll, like, text in the group chat about, like, you know, adding something to the spreadsheet that keeps track of the game. First night that she's there, she falls asleep in Wrath's room, and Wrath wakes her up and then manipulates her into letting him go down on her, and then immediately screams at her to get out of his room after he's done and then when she wakes up the next morning she puts on her own clothes god forbid and to punish her for putting on her own clothes they deprive her of food for breakfast and then make her change in front of them while they eat instead of allowing her to eat breakfast or wear her own clothes and Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't she pass out? Yes. Oh, I forgot that. to mention. Yeah. That. Yeah. Because she. she oh, they like forget to feed her. Like she's like you know like a pet goldfish, and she passes out because she hasn't eaten. And because that embarrasses them, they decide that they can't keep withholding food from her. Like that's just a nor like, that's a normal thing. Like, you can't just withhold food from a human being. (sighs) So. This is the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) God, it really is. Then Tristan is, like, very much into public displays. So he forces her multiple times into, like, jerking him off or him touching her. And she's incredibly uncomfortable every time. But he does it because it gets him a bunch of points in the game. Which, gross. Like, yes, let's make the girl whose virginity I want to take uncomfortable so I can win the game and take her virginity instead of just being a decent human to her and hoping that she likes you. So in addition to them coercing her into awful things, they also use her as an emotional punching bag. And they constantly, especially Wrath and Killian, constantly take out their bad moods on her and blame her for shit that has nothing to do with her at one point she's talking to wrath in the morning before they go to classes like about the fact that he can't read and then he comes back with her after classes and is like i failed my oral report because of you and she's like what the fuck are you talking about and he's like you got in my head and i was overthinking it and it's all your fault are you are you fucking kidding me are you three years old you can't take responsibility for the fact that you didn't do well on that project so you're gonna blame story for the fact that you got a bad grade and let's address the fact that story offers to help him and he still acts like this towards her like a bratty fucking child then killing and that's like why would you help him why he treats you like this why would you help him What I'm not going to do at all in this podcast is victim blame story for anything that happens to her. But there are certain times when I'm looking at her actions and I'm like, girl, that wasn't the smartest thing for you to do in that situation. Oh, yeah. I forgot that that's something that we were that that's an angle that we're going for. Not an angle, but we don't victim blame. Uh, Then Killian has a pre football game ritual that he must stick to. Where he has to have sex with two girls before he Which, like, plays the following day. And he can't get hard with them or come with the two 
girls that he picks out because they don't look anything like Story. So Story overhears this happening when she goes up to her room to get a sweater. And Killian decides that the best course of action that he could take is to force her onto the ground and bodily pin her down with his knees, keeping in mind that he's a gigantic human, and fucks her chest while telling her that it's all her fault that this is happening because she was listening in and snooping and she made him do this to her. (laughs) It's just awful. It's awful. It's just constant victim blaming from all three guys. It never ends. I just like, I don't have any words for how, I mean, I know that story endured a lot, but geez, this was like painful for me. (sighs) Yeah. A lot of heavy sighing for me this episode because that's how I feel. Then Wrath finally agrees to let Story help him learn how to read. And then he decides that he's going to manipulate her and tell her that he's unable to focus because he hasn't been able to come. So he'll only be able to focus during their study sessions if she volunteers to give him a blowjob. And because... He's able to emotionally manipulate her into this. It gets him a bunch of points in the game. And he just continues doing this. And it's disgusting. It's just gross. And I'm not trying to be, you know, rude, but Story is not qualified to help someone with dyslexia to learn how to read. (laughs) No, she is not. (laughs) Uh, I I know that it's not that simple. It's not really not uh story and killian go home at one point for like a family dinner and killian's dad drops off a bunch of mail to them and is like hey some of this mail showed up at the house for you too and they're going through it and she gets mail from her stalker and it's a pair of her underwear and then a card with the words you're mine whore written on the card and killian sees this and instead of being like oh that's really concerning jumps to the conclusion that this must mean that she's fucking someone within the frat because they're the only ones who would have access to her underwear and that's it that he doesn't listen to anything she has to say about the whole situation he determines that she's sleeping around behind their back she's fucking someone else in the frat and he is like determined to punish her for it killian is a shit fucking detective (laughs) Like, he doesn't think anything through logically. It's just, like, instantly, oh, it's Story's fault, and she's doing this, and she's terrible. Again, with the victim blaming. It it makes me want to rip my hair out every time that Killian thinks or speaks. I don't think I've ever disliked a character as much as I dislike him. Same. So, to punish her for the fact that she's being stalked and relentlessly pursued... Um, he decides to recreate the rape that she experienced in his laundry room and makes her suck his dick in front of the entire frat, which consists of like 45 guys. And it's traumatizing and awful. And it's just like, let's dig up all of your trauma. It's just so humiliating. And it was so uncomfortable for me to read. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't even read this scene the second time for this read through because of how much I dislike it. It's really awful. Like it's a, it, 
made me have a very visceral reaction because I was like, not only is it a terrible thing to do to make her suck your dick in the first place, making her do it in front of like 45 other guys who are all like catcalling and saying awful shit the entire time. And then on top of that, the whole scene is a recreation of another traumatic event in her life. It's so many layers of awful. Yeah, her entire life, she's just been subjected to the whims of these abusive men. And it's terrible. And she's not like other, you know, female main characters in reverse harem groups where like they, um, you know, are really good at fighting or have some secret ability or tactic. I mean, she's just kind of a normal girl. So she really has no way to like cope with this or um fight back i guess Mm -hmm. (sighs) so after that they're dealing with the fallout from all of that and while they're dealing with the fallout poor story continues to get shit on throughout this entire series and gets kidnapped by another frat because they decide to take away her value they're going to rape her so that she's not a virgin anymore and then just give her back to the lords And the way that this is done is really shitty about, you know, objectifying women as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So Killian manages to rescue her. Oh, I thought we were going to elaborate on that more for a second. Because I I think it really bothered me that, you know, the Duchess tries to befriend her and then goes behind her back and betrays her. Like, we're not a fan of stories that, you know, where women tear each, tear down other women. We like a strong female friendship. And it's like the, the one person that story like trusts and gets close to betrays her. Yeah. And like immediately. Left, uh-huh. It just left like a really like sour taste in my mouth. I didn't like it. It's just continuing to hit home. The fact that story is like truly alone in this world. Like there is no one who can help her. Yeah. And I'm just like, if she wasn't so freaked out by the stalker. And, like, I feel like that's, like, the only person that would, like, somewhat avenge her. But he, like, thinks that she's, like, a slut and awful. Everyone is awful. I mean, he straight up murdered her roommate, so. Uh, Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) So probably not the best person to be going to for a sister. True, true. Not the most emotionally stable person. Most stalkers aren't. Yeah, I would agree with you there. So Killian rescues her and they decide that um, because there's this looming danger of someone else taking her virginity, they have to get rid of her virginity as soon as possible. So they let her decide who is going to take her virginity. And she chooses Killian because of the fact that she doesn't want there to be any emotion involved at all. And she's been feeling closer to Wrath and Tristan throughout So she chooses Killian because she just wants it to be like a done after this. I don't have to look at you anymore kind of thing. And I guess in a way I was glad that she didn't choose Tristan for this. And, you know, I know that he does get closer to her throughout the entire book. But he is, like, the main abuser from that opening scene. And it's just, Mm -hmm. oh. There's, there's absolutely no way I would have even considered him. And I think that because of that, like, I know I hate Killian, but I really hate Tristan. 
so after she sleeps with Killian, she goes through his laptop and she finds the point sheet and all the videos that the guys have taken. Secretly. And also, this is weird too. The Killian scene. Oh, the them sleeping together. Yeah, because isn't it like extremely intimate? <laughs> yeah, like he's like making love to her. And I feel like, given his personality, I think that it would have been the opposite, and he would have lost control. It does seem very out of character for him. Like he's been waiting so long for this. I can't imagine him taking it so slow. Yeah. I agree. So she finds the point sheet and she realizes how they've been manipulating her this entire time. And she makes a really dumb decision <laughs> and takes a picture of her like blood and the semen that's on the sheets and sends it to her stalker with the subject line. What are you going to do about it? And it's like, why? <laughs> why? Couldn't she just let them handle this? Like, that's what her whole plan was. Yeah, so she... Did she we... really just think that it was going to be over after she lost her virginity? Like, she didn't think that this was going to anger him anymore? I, I don't really know what she's thinking in this case, but she... We get a flash from the stalker's point of view who... We we know him as Ted throughout, Um but he's, like, in the middle of buying a building, like, a house or something. And he's talking to his realtor. And then he gets the email from her. And he opens it. And he says that he knows the hand. Because Killian's hand was in the shot with his fraternity ring on it. And he says he knows whose hand it is. And that he has a ring just like that. So Ashley and I are of the opinion that her stalker is her stepfather Killian's dad yeah who was also in the same fraternity yes right yeah and it explains the whole virginity obsession and how that letter ended up in the mail and how he had access to her underwear Mm -hmm. so that's that's our theory there's also this weird bullshit side plot where they imply that these three rich boys are running things on the south side of their city. Like, they're in charge of the underground or whatever. And it's like, that makes no fucking sense. And it's never explained. It doesn't no, make it any sense about what's going on. Obviously, that might come up in the later books. But in what world are three rich assholes who are in college running the criminal underground of the south side of a city? And it, uh, like... It makes, you know, it's somewhat believable when Killian does rescue her, but that's about it. Like, you don't know anything about it at all, other than they, like, have business to do over on the south side. Like, okay, I'm glad that you have time to do that with your college schedule and, like, football games and, like practice and your fraternity that you're in and the girl that you abuse. Like, no, that's just too much. And we talk about that all the time in books where the plot just is way too much going on. And uh -huh. this, I don't know, it just kind of seems unnecessary. But I'm sure that it's going to go on to be like, you know, some sort of like underground like crime ring or they're like trying to like clean up the city or like some shit like that. I doubt with their personalities and their characters that they're trying to clean anything. I mean, 
I don't know. They're going to have to hit the redemption angle pretty freaking hard for these guys. But I just, like, I don't know. I don't think it'll be believable. No, I refuse for these characters to be redeemed at this point. And that just doesn't work for us. We love a redemption arc. So, their housekeeper, Miss Crane, is from the South Side, which is apparently where they met her. And she murdered her husband, who was apparently abusive, which, you go, bitch. You murder him. And she's the only character I like in this book. (laughs) And she's my favorite character because she's constantly insulting the guys and she doesn't take any shit. So I have some of my favorite Miss Kane quotes that I would like to share with you. Um, She, at multiple times, refers to the guys as failed abortions. (laughs) Then she also... Amazing. (laughs) Because I really wish that they would have been aborted. She also refers to them as the sentient manifestation of Satan's genitals. (laughs) (laughs) And then tells them that they have the personalities of an anal itch. (laughs) And it is really nice that you get that comedic relief because it's so needed in this book. It's just it was so necessary to have her. And I mean, I think that, you know, she really is going to end up as we find out playing an important role but she's so funny good for her good for her for being the like one good person in this book and like the one good person to story i hope she stabs some other men in this series stab them all please please (laughs) um ashley asked me to pull out some cringe quotes so i did (laughs) You know, you know, we love cringe ass quotes from the first scene in the laundry room. uh, Wrath and Tristan are going back and forth about how stories a virgin because, you know, we can't ever stop talking about virginity. So uh, Tristan says there's something about virgins, you know, and Wrath responds that nervous energy. It gets my dick hard. And then Tristan says, I like the begging. And then Wrath shifts into a falsetto and says, please don't. It hurts. What wonderful Which again, these two that's are. not at all consenting. If a woman asks you to stop, it means please stop. Consent can be revoked at any time during a, a sexual interaction. And it just, uh, it's disgusting. It, I hated it. <laughs> Then we have this wonderful line from Wrath after Story falls asleep in his room. You should have run like Goldilocks because this is one of those stories where the girl is punished for breaking into the bear's room. You know what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to eat you up. Uh, Like, could you say something, like, make a more, like, cliche reference? (laughs) I'm going to eat you up before I go down on you. Ugh. Oh, cringe. Cringe. I read I read this one to my husband when I was going through <laughs> This is, okay, I hope you're prepared, <laughs> listeners, because this is, whew. He had the most visceral reaction to this. I thought it was hilarious. And uh, we will eventually be doing an episode where we're going to read some scenes to our husbands and, like, record their reactions on the podcast. So let let us know if that's something you guys are interested in. Speaking of husbands, Andrew's been texting me commentary from what he's been hearing in the other room as we're recording. He said, (laughs) 
Virginity is the most important thing in the world. A woman without virginity is worthless with a winky face. <laughs> and then murder is fine, which was in response to you talking about me being in love with the Darkling, even though he's a murderer. So obviously I have my husband's support for that obsession. And then the last comment, which is my favorite, is him asking, are you talking about porn? With three exclamation points. <laughs> and I, I just want to oh, say, too, goodness. I don't want this to come off in any way that I'm shaming women who abstain from having sex or hold on to their virginity. But I don't get the obsession with virgins because, like, I don't know. I think it's better to be with a partner who has some experience under their belt. <laughs> like, I just think about when I lost my virginity and I just laid there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, and that experience isn't super fun for anyone. No, but we. <laughs> I don't want this to turn into, like, a losing virginity stories. But I told you, like, when I lost mine, like, nothing happened for me. It wasn't like I, like, started bleeding. But I used, like, tampons and stuff before then. So I don't know. That was my other question. Had she, like, never used tampons or, like, never masturbated, like, internally or anything? Like, well, I, I mean, just... I used tampons and I still bled when I lost my virginity. I definitely did not. I'm gonna do some research on this. <laughs> We're gonna... I'm going to post some things about your hymen on our Instagram. <laughs> Can't wait. Or maybe I'm going to do a poll if you feel comfortable answering about what your virginity and hymen experience was like and if you bled. Because I definitely did not. Uh, oh, so I need to read this Killian quote. <laughs> okay, sorry. This, this, is him descri- this is him talking about him sneaking into Story's room. I left her little gifts in the form of my jizz on her lips, on the shiny tip of her tongue. Not enough that she'd notice, just enough that I'd know she was marked, that she carried a part of me inside of her. It's so fucking gross. And I, I also never like... like the word jizz. I especially <laughs> hate it in this context. Yes. <laughs> We've had this conversation about slang terms for ejaculate, <laughs> and I like, I hate jizz. Like, right, last spunk, one. Don't like. I I picked this one from Killian because it really encapsulates his victim blaming attitude. Uh, this is after he pinned her down on the floor and like left bruises all over her body. That was your fault. You forced me to do that. Uh, you forced me to do that to you, just like you always force guys to hurt you. You came up here and got in my business, and then you knowingly provoked me into this. That's what you do, Story. That's what you always fucking do. Like, how? Why? Why? What? It, uh, it, something is wrong. Something is very wrong with him. Yes. And this is supposed to be a character that these authors love? There's just nothing that I like at all. And it's not even like I can love, like, the description of his character. No, we get two (laughs) descriptors. Like, the physical description. (laughs) He's big and has tattoos. That's all you need to know, Ashley. I mean, I'll be honest, though. That's... Those qualities are attractive to me, but his personality just... Ruins everything? Yes. It's awful. 
So, final thoughts. What are your final thoughts, Ashley? I'm definitely gonna read the next book. I am I'm too. Sh- what does that say about us that we hated this book too so much and we're still gonna read the second well, one? Well, I think that I'm curious to see if there's gonna be any attempt by the authors to redeem these characters and i'm sure that there's going to be a third book because if they're doing that thing where it's like oh we're gonna put her with each of the guys on the cover which i don't want to go on and sound like i'm just kind of like droning on about this but i think that that's one of my like harem pet peeves i feel like a lot of people have been doing that lately and you know i think that it's great to give a face to the characters it's just, like, one of those things in reverse harems that's, like, overdone at this point. What are your thoughts on that? I don't really have any strong feelings on most covers. I actually kind of just prefer a cover that doesn't have any person on it. Like, I would rather see, like, artwork that's not including people. And I think that, like, the sexy girl on the cover is also really overdone, too. Like... That's a common thing, especially in paranormal romances. I don't know why, but it's like the same style, like cartoony girl. Yes. Um, I, I don't know, but I, these guys are irredeemable to me and the standards that I have. Um, and, you know, I could in no way ever forgive the person that sexually assaulted me. There would be nothing that he could do. I mean, short of other than, like, killing himself. But, like, yeah. No. I Um, cannot imagine anything that these characters could do, in my mind, in, like, the best possible situation, that they could do something and it would redeem them for me. Like, at this point, I can't think of anything that would make me like these characters. Mm Mm-mm. There's nothing. And I feel like the only one that I could maybe like would be Tristan. And I can't like him because he's the main offender of the her sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I think it's designed that way. And it's just disgusting. I'm I just have not... never, I think I said this to Ashley when we first finished reading this story. I have never hoped more in my life that every love interest in this book gets murdered <laughs> and, and you know that that's not gonna happen unfortunately i want you know the stalker that- to come and kill them all please please murder all three of them and um did did we say that we're convinced the stalker is her stepfather did we say that yeah i mentioned that okay um and that you know I feel like that's obvious, too, that, you know, I don't think he's going to kill his son, but he's going to make it so his son can't be involved with story. And that's, you know, what's going to, I mean, propel the plot along. But it's also like, how could you be that obsessed with this girl and her virginity that you're like, I'm going to kill my own son or like, I don't know. It's just there's too much going on. Mm hmm. And can't he just be like every other rich creeper and just like pay for that shit from somebody else? Like, why does it have to be this one girl? Couldn't you just pay for like sex trafficking to get you like some like, you know, pure women? Goddamn, Ashley. <laughs> what? <laughs> pay for sex trafficking? Well, I'm just saying. 
But like that's a common theme in books where you know <laughs> this rich white guy pays for his weird shit that he's into. It's like the royal elite from Everlake Prep and and Havoc, like the like Coralie Vincent and all them with their you know yeah sex trafficking of children. I'm just saying <laughs> that. <laughs> There is a trend in these type of books where I get that he's obsessed with this one girl, but it's like, how did this even start? Like, he, like, saw her from afar? Like, I don't know. We'll see. He saw her from afar and was like, I'm going to seduce her poor mother. I I guess we'll get more of that background, hopefully, in the next book. But it's so obviously (laughs) we had a lot of strong feelings about this book. If you don't agree with us, that's perfectly okay. You are entitled to your opinions, just like we are entitled to ours. We would never tell anyone how to feel about a book. But obviously our feelings for this were very strong. We do anticipate that there will be a lot of people who don't agree with us. This has really been our first episode where we've been like full-blown negativity about a series. So it's definitely a change of pace from the episodes we've put out already. But... These were our honest thoughts and feelings, and we do promise to always give honest reviews to you all and tell you what we truly feel about a book. And that's something that we've been experiencing lately, is we've had some authors reach out to us offering free books in return for, you know, um, posting about them on our social media or, you know, potentially doing episodes about them. And that's just not really something that we're interested in pursuing at this point um we want to keep this as transparent as possible and give our true thoughts and feelings um you know we read these books on kindle unlimited that we pay for ourselves and yeah we'll always be real with you guys and um we are gonna follow this up with you know a more positive episode and If you enjoyed this book, I hope you're in no way offended, Um, like I said, to each their own. So let's get into what we're reading this week. So this week, I read Lilac by B.B. Reed. Um, I also read all four books of The Evergreen Academy by Ruby Vincent. I am just a really big fan of Ruby Vincent. I think, and we talked about this with Grace last week in our episode, but I just don't think Ruby Vincent is talked about enough in the reverse harem community. She does such a great job of making her books really fast paced, but you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. And then some of the the twists and turns that she throws into her books are just absolutely incredible. Um, I also finished Lola and the Millionaires Part 2, so I'm all done with that series. This week, I am planning on diving headfirst into the Ruthless Boys of the Zodiac series. Uh, by Caroline and Suzanne. Which is completed now. Yeah, that's a spinoff from the Zodiac Academy um, series. And it was recently completed. The last book came out yesterday. So I actually, because I know that Caroline and Suzanne are the queens of a cliffhanger ending, I <sighs> wanted to make sure that the whole series was out before I dove headfirst into this I already know that reading it is going to give me a book hangover and that I'm probably going to be emotionally destroyed by the time I'm done reading it but I'm sure it'll be worth it so I'm very much looking forward to getting into that Ash what are you reading uh I read The Crown of Gilded Bones by JLA and it was amazing it ends on such a 
cliffhanger and I'm just sad and anxious for the next book. Um, there's something that I'm disappointed about, um, but I'm going to give, you know, our fans a little bit more time to read the third book and then I'll tell you what I was disappointed about. Um, I started the Hannaford Prep series and I'm on to book two because uh, I managed to get like the complete series on Kindle Unlimited and I was reading it and I was like, why does it feel like I'm going through this so slow? It is every single one of the books. Um, so I'm into book. I'm on to book two and Harley is everything. I love him. I'm obsessed with him. Heart. Sam thinks that I'm going to end up liking Ash the most. So uh -huh. we'll see. And I can already tell that Blaze is like, you know, kind of just like the funny, like the like Blake Bowman, which, you know, he has that like tortured side, but his character really reminds me of Blake. Um, yeah, I see that comparison. Yeah. Um, so I plan to finish that as well as read the second book um, from the boys perspective. And I'm also going to read Wildflower, the second cricket book in preparation for our upcoming episode on Willow Hadley's books. Yeah, so that will be our episode next week. We are going to do just kind of an overview episode about some of our favorite Willow Hadley books, since those are like the comfort, sweet, reverse harems. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing those rereads, especially after having to do the Lords of Pain reread for this week. It'll be nice to find something comforting, which I'm sure I will also need after being emotionally destroyed by Caroline and Suzanne. <laughs> yeah, those two are just the queens of... Uh, an emotionally devastating series. <laughs> I still have not read book six of Zodiac Academy yet, but it's just like every book is just such a giant, like, hunk of reading. The last, you have to really have time and dedication. The last book for The Ruthless Boys is almost a thousand pages. That's They're insane. Wild. They're so wild. Like, I don't know how they do it. Hopefully, hopefully we're on their radar enough that like, hey, Caroline and Suzanne, if you uh, want to come on the podcast and chat with us, we would love to have you. I'm sure that they would come on with us. I, Caroline follows us on TikTok, so I, I know that we could reach out to her and I would be so excited to talk to both of them about the processes that they go through before they just destroy my soul with their writing. Well, and I'm also curious about, you know, what it's like to write a series with your sister. You know, I, I'm just very impressed that they're both such talented writers that that can even be a thing. Yeah, their their whole individual process is very interesting because they I know that since they write so many POVs, each sister like takes certain characters in different series and they've talked about that a little bit on their page. So I would love to dive in some more with them about like why they chose certain characters for certain writing styles and like the differences that they perceive between their own writing. Yeah, and it's great that they have that continuity as well. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Smut and Spice. We hope you'll join us next week for a much more positive episode as we discuss the warm and fuzzy works of Willow Hadley. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smut and Spice Pod. We'd love it if you would share our podcast with friends and on social media. If you have any book recommendations, send them our way. And if you're an author who's interested in appearing on an episode, reach out. We would love to have you. 
A special thanks to our technical producer, Andrew, and our graphic designer, Lainey, for our amazing logo. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. The link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. Bye!